Amen. That was awesome, awesome, awesome. The worship has been fantastic. Um, thank you guys so much. And um, thank you, Jason, for a great communion, uh, for sharing your story with us and sharing your heart. That was um, really encouraging, bro. really encouraging to, to hear you uh, do that. Um, next week, Nathan, will, Nathan Martin will continue. The series next week, we Claudette and I will be here, but Nathan is going to preach the word next week. And so we're really looking forward to that. Um, please continue to read through the Sermon on the Mount um, together. Uh, we on, on, on GroupMe, as well as your newsletter, you'll have the, um, the, the information on that about March on the, on the, March on the Mount is what, we, what it's called. Um, also, there's some really cool video um, devotionals with that as well. That's been pretty encouraging. Those come out uh, daily. Um, so please be looking at those as well. So we're continuing our series, The World Upside Down. And I'm really excited about this series. It's been going fantastic. And I hope that you guys have been enjoying it as well and uh, benefiting from it as well. So here's a little bit of a, a recap um, and just looking ahead as well. So last week we looked at the world turned upside down, world values upside down, right? That was lesson one and what it did was it introduced the greatest sermon ever. Um, lesson two, which is today, is the law of Moses inside out. The law of Moses expanded and explained Next week, Nathan will preach on holiness, the right side up, um, a life of holiness, holiness illustrated. Um, lesson four will be decisions inside right, right, making some decisions in our lives, right? And so, um, and this, that's how we're going to end the greatest sermon ever. But let us go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you in prayer, God, just uh, so grateful uh, for the opportunity to preach your word. So grateful, Father, to open open your word. Um, I pray that this morning that your Holy Spirit will lead us, Father. I pray that your Holy Spirit will be evident in this place. Father, I pray that um, our hearts will be open to your word as well. Thank you so much for those who have, uh, have come to worship you this morning. Father, we love you and we thank you so much for all that you're doing in our lives. We pray for our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine, that you continue to watch over them, that you continue to, to, uh, to, to make, I pray that you will make your presence known in the Ukraine, Father. Thank you so much for your love and thank you for your grace and your mercy. Through your son's name we pray, amen. Amen. And so uh, we're going to go ahead and we're going to start out with, uh, uh, before we begin here, is taking a look at the Bible Project's video on Matthew. And we're just going to look at a part of it. We're not going to look at the whole thing just until just until he talks about um, or explains about the Sermon on the Mount. Okay? Let's go ahead and do that. About Jesus of Nazareth, his life, his death, and his resurrection. The book itself is anonymous, but the earliest reliable tradition places Matthew who was one of the twelve apostles that Jesus appointed. He actually appears within the book itself. For about thirty to forty years, the apostles orally taught and passed on their ideas. Now about Jesus, along with the teachings of the faith that all men. 
book that highlights the issues about Jesus. In this video, we're just going to cover this half of it. Specifically, Matthew wants to show how Jesus is the continuation and fulfillment of the whole biblical story about God and man. That Jesus is the Messiah from the line of David, that he is a new authoritative teacher like Moses. And not only that, Jesus is God with us, or in Hebrew, Emmanuel. And Matthew's designing this book with an introduction and then a conclusion, and these act like a frame around five clear sections right here in the center, each of which concludes with a long block of beautiful imagery. Now, this design is very intentional, and it's amazing. There's lots of other sections. In chapters one through three, they set the stage by attacking Jesus' story right onto the storyline of the whole story. So Matthew opens with a genealogy about Jesus, highlights how he is from the messianic line of the son of David, and he's a son of Abraham. That means he's going to bring God's blessing to all the nations. After that, we get the famous story about Jesus' birth and how all of the events fulfilled the Old Testament prophetic promises that the nations would come and honor the Messiah, that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. But even more important, Jesus' conception by the Holy Spirit, his name Emmanuel, all these work together to show that Jesus is no mere human. He is God with us, God who comes to So you can see two of Matthew's key themes right here in the introduction. He's from the line of David. He's Emmanuel. But Matthew also wants to show how Jesus is a new Moses. So like Moses, Jesus came up out of Egypt. He passed through the waters of baptism, and he entered into the wilderness for 40 days. And then Jesus goes up onto a mountain to deliver his news to the Jews. So through all of this, Matthew is claiming that Jesus is the promise greater than Moses He's going to deliver Israel from slavery. He's going to give a new divine teaching. He's going to save them from their sins and bring about a new covenant relationship between God and man. This Moses and Jesus parallel also explains why Matthew has structured the center of the book the way that he did. These five main parts highlight Jesus as a teacher, and he's created a parallel. Jesus as a teacher parallels the five books of Jesus is the new authoritative covenant teacher that's going to fulfill the storyline of the whole book. Now, in the first section, chapter 46, Jesus steps onto the scene announcing the arrival of God's kingdom. And this is really key. The kingdom is, in essence, about God's rescue operation for his whole world. And it's taking place through these teachers. Jesus has come to confront people, especially spiritual teachers, this whole legacy of demon oppression and Jesus has come to restore God's rule and reign over the whole world by creating a new family of people who follow him, obey his teachings, and live by his teachings. So after Jesus begins healing people and forming a new family in Israel, he takes his followers out to a mountain or a hilltop, and he delivers his first big block of teaching, traditionally called the Sermon on the Mount. And here Jesus explores what it looks like to follow him and live in God's And it's an upside-down kingdom where there are no privileged members. The poor, the nobodies, the wealthy, the religious, everybody is invited. And And his call to turn turn his attention to following Jesus and join his family. Jesus Jesus says that he's not here to set aside the commands of the Torah or the Old Testament. Rather, he's here to fulfill all of that through his life, through his teaching. He's here to transform the hearts of his people so that they can truly love God Amen. Amen. 
Man, I felt like that would be something good to show um, that it would explain up to where we are right now, right? Um, as far as what the book of Matthew is all about, right? Um, and, to, and to kind of give some context, because we're going to talk today about, um, about um, you know, that last part there that we saw um, and, and continue to talk about the upside down kingdom, right? Or the, and, and, and so, you know, long ago, um, <laughs> I watched Alice in Wonderland, right? I mean, many of you guys have probably watched Alice in Wonderland. There are probably about five versions of Alice in Wonderland, probably, probably more. Um, it's such a classic, such a great um, animation and, then, and film, really. And so I watched it again recently, and it was, it was, it was hard to watch this time. Uh, the animation, just because, you know, you've watched the movies, the film, and, and it was just kind of tough to watch. But there's one thing that was in the animation that I don't think, I haven't found in some of, in any other um, Alice in Wonderland film. I think they just skipped it. And that is that the main character, she enters the rabbit hole, right? Um, and into into the the surprising and upside down world right of of wonderland it, this is the only version that you see that in the other versions i don't think uh show they show going in the rabbit hole but they don't show the the upside down uh world of wonderland uh, they do show wonderland but it's not upside down um if i remember correctly and so just as alice she finds herself in a world that is completely different from what she is accustomed to. It's completely different than what she's used to. So also, when we enter the kingdom of God, we find his value system is surprisingly different from our worldly values. And henceforth, upside down. The kingdom is upside down compared to the world. You know, I, I was talking to, um, to Tom the other day, and I was, I was telling him that you know, I, I've, I've been hearing this upside down kingdom, but to me, I just really feel like the kingdom is right side up, right? And that the world is upside down, right? And so, and so I may go back and forth and I may, you may hear me switch it as I speak. Just understand where I'm coming from. It's just that I feel like the kingdom is right side up and that's where the rest of the world needs to be. So the rest of the world is upside down. So we're going we're gonna, to um, navigate through that and, and, and try to figure that out as we go. But, you know, we have now stepped, in, stepped up to the door of the kingdom. And Jesus now deals with the elephant in the room, which is righteousness. True righteousness is what he starts to deal with. And he reexamines the law of Moses as practiced by the Pharisees. Because their practice is totally, well, for real, that's upside down, right? Uh, their practice of righteousness is very confusing to the people. And so we're going to look now at the, at the law of Moses expanded and explained, and we're going to start in Matthew 5, starting in verse 17. Because I think this is a key to understanding what comes next. It's very key that we understand these verses right here. It says, Do not think that I have come to establish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. 
For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law, until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside, sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But, whether, but whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. That's a major challenge right there, huh? That our righteousness must surpass that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. But it also says something about the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, right? You know, Jesus fulfilled the law. He didn't try to remove it. He wasn't about removing the law. And I think sometimes we can be confused by that, where we take the Old Testament and we look at the Old Testament and, and feel that it's not as important anymore. And that's not true. See, Jesus didn't sin, and so he fulfilled the law. He also fulfilled the prophet's predictions. The Pharisees, they developed a legalistic system of living that made it impossible to break the letter of the law because of legalism and the punishments that would come if the law was broken. See, if you follow the rules, you're okay, according to them. If you follow these rules that, we, that are set up, then you're fine. And so it was legalistic righteousness. See, the law is not the problem. The problem is the heart of the followers. And that is what Jesus was trying to teach about our hearts. It was about our hearts to follow that law and, and even more so. And so their righteousness was fabricated and, and invented more than it was a spiritual motivation. You know, sometimes we, we can invent rules for ourselves to have an appearance of righteousness. And that causes us to be more like whitewashed tombs. You know, this is not spiritually motivated, that behavior. And so we thus evade Jesus' hearts when we do that. You know, sometimes we do this because we genuinely think this is how it should be. Genuinely think this is how it should be. Like we, we, we appear to be a certain way because we genuinely think this is what should happen. This is how we should appear. This is how we should look. But Jesus turns that upside down. You know, Jesus shows that the kingdom, that kingdom righteousness exceeds legalistic righteousness. You know, in Philippians 3, 6, it says, if someone else thinks they have reason, this is what Paul is saying, right? If someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. So all he's talking about here are his, 
you know, how he viewed the law and how he held to that law with rules. Right? Not heart, but rules. He said, he says here, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. I did it. Right? But it's it's not about following rules. It's about a spirit. And so now we're going to look at, you know, this verbal argument, which is really called a polemic, right? This verbal, verbal argument against the Pharisees. You know, Jesus delivers this argument, and um, it's a list of have you heards, but I tell you, right? We're going to see that statement a lot here. Have you heard, but I tell you. These are statements in which he gives examples of what he has, he has uh, said a few verses prior. You know, he says, yes, this is what Moses said, and, and we're to obey it, but it is more than that. So let's look at the first one. Let's look at murder versus anger in verse 21. It says, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. Anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, a sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire in hell and, and uh, of hell. And we're going to stop right there. As you can see, you know, we can go on reading, but we're going to stop right there. You see, the law allows for bitterness. It allows for, for lawsuits. It allows for anger. It allows for division. Now, it doesn't come out straight and, and say that, but look what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus says it's not the kingdom way. Instead, there is peace in God's kingdom. There's unity in God's kingdom. There's no anger. There's no bitterness. There's no lawsuits. There's no division. But peace, unity, and reconciliation. That's what he's explaining here. He says, you have heard it said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And so it skips over all the other things and goes to murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment, the judgment of the courts. But I tell you that anyone who is angry, not even murder, but if you're just angry with a brother or sister, you'll be subject to judgment. So what he's saying is, yes, Moses' law is correct. It's proper. It's right. But it's not enough. So we obey Moses' law. We don't murder. But it's just not enough. We got to go a little bit further than that, Jesus says. Because Jesus is teaching grace. Unity. Reconciliation. Let's look at another one here. Adultery versus lust. Verse 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. 
If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. It says if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for the whole body to be th- to, to go into hell. You know, the law here allows for self-pleasuring. That's how the Israelites got themselves in trouble. Right? And that's how they started worshiping Baal because they thought, oh, this is not bad. This is okay. I can do this. Right? So the law allows for self-pleasuring, pornography, lust, and indecency. And so a case can be made that religious people will overlook all the the various forms of fornication as well. They'll overlook it. If if you are an Old Testament Christian, you're going to overlook all that stuff. But Jesus says the kingdom is a place of absolute purity. Without compromise. Absolute purity. He says, but I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And then he goes on to say, well, here's what you do about it. You get intentional and you get radical. Verse 31 through 32, it says, it has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you, Jesus says, but I tell you, that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So he gives you again what the Old Testament law says. That anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. So it's okay to divorce. According to the Old Testament, as long as you follow these rules. But Jesus makes most causes of divorce as acts of adultery. Very different. So we see the upside down in all of these. We're going forward here. Oaths versus honesty. Verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one here white or black. Like, I didn't make these white or gray. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. And so the law allows for deceit and dishonesty. It doesn't, it doesn't watch over deceit. It doesn't watch over dishonesty in normal discourse or communication. And so Jesus talks about the oath here, right? And so in Deuteronomy 23, 21, it says, If you make a vow to the Lord your God, do not be slow to pay it. For the Lord your God will certainly Demand it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. 
See, the Israelites were warned to be careful of their vows to God. Because they had better keep their vow. And Jesus opposed this. But he also says the kingdom is a place of absolute honesty. Absolute honesty. He brings forth all these absolutes in his sermon. Absolute honesty. Absolute purity. Can you imagine? It's like Alice in Wonderland going down that rabbit hole and the world just flips. That's what's happening here. It's like all these people, they join him on the mountain. That's like going through the rabbit hole, right? They join him on the mountain and then he gives this sermon and they're like, oh, okay then. This is what true righteousness is all about. Revenge versus non-resistance. Verse 38, it says, You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you. And do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You know, it's so interesting. I hope we're seeing the difference in heart. Jesus is teaching a true righteousness that deals with our hearts and then forces us to display that heart, right? Because this is a challenge. It is challenging. The law allows for violent retaliation up to a point. The law says it's okay to retaliate up to a point. Exodus 21 23 through 25, it says, But if there is serious injury, you are to take life for life. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. That's what it says in Exodus 21. But Jesus says the kingdom is a place for nonviolent submission with an emphasis on grace. Upside down. Nonviolent submission with an emphasis on grace. You know, I admire some, some of the people in our history of America who fought for nonviolence. It's so important because that is the kingdom of God. That is the behavior that we need to imitate. And so I want to pause here for a second and I want to say that in, in the world, it can be argued that if you hold to what the law teaches, you're pretty much a good enough person. Pretty much. Right? Because we know a lot of people that would say, oh, no, murder is wrong. That's, that's, that's not right. We know a lot of people that would say, you know what? Yeah, eye for an eye. 
Yeah, that's, that's the right thing to do. And then they can go to the Old Testament and they can back it up. Right? Because if you think about moral people in the world, that is the behavior. That is what you're going to hear. So they can, they can go to the Old Testament and they can say, see, it's right here. Jesus is intent on separating us from the world and challenges us to go further than the law. Obey the law, yes, but go further. That's the challenge. So we talk about conditional versus unconditional love. This is a big one. 43, it says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good. And sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. You know, the law, it allows for hatred, division, xenophobia, classism, racism, nationalism. It allows for that. And again, this is what even the world sees as normal. You know, he talks here about other people. Deuteronomy 23, verse 3. Here's what it says in the law. No Ammonite, no Moabite, or any of their descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord. Not even in the tenth generation. That's what it says in the law. And so here, I think what's, what's happening here is that before, it was built into the law. But the kingdom is different. See, this was allowed by the law, I think, because they worshipped other gods. These Ammonites and the Moabites worshipped other gods, and God was protecting his people. And so he says, don't, don't mix with them. Stay away from those guys. Stay away from those people. I'm protecting you. If you go with those people, you're going to fall into the same thing that they're, they're doing. So stay away from them. But Jesus says now, he says, the kingdom is a place of love and unity. Where we should be able to, if righteous, if we've been following his whole sermon, we should be able to communicate with them and bring them with us and not fall into their way. The kingdom of God does not hate, divide, discriminate, dislike others, dis 
because of race or culture or class. What's God like? Well, God is about a relationship, not a checklist. A checklist mentality will leave you disillusioned about God. And so why do I say that? Because we have to build relationship. We got to build right relationship with God and with people. And so what Jesus is saying here is that no one, no one is exempt. We build with everybody. We love everybody. We, we try to be united to a point with everybody because we want to win them to God's kingdom. Are we living the righteous life Jesus calls us to live in his kingdom? You know, the Greek word used here at the end of at the end of the passage we just read for perfect is teleos. And it it means mature. It means complete. And guys, we need to shoot for this kind of maturity. That is complete. You know, we're not going to to be perfect, but shoot for a spiritual ambition of maturity. When Jesus calls them to be perfect here, he calls them to be complete. He calls them to be mature. Because that's what it will take to do this. You know, the Pharisees felt like they had arrived. Legalistic righteousness, as Paul mentioned. And we're all in the fight together, step by step, to grow toward maturity. We have examples here that are people here that are examples of maturity, spiritual maturity, working towards being complete. Guys, let's imitate each other. So far, Jesus' sermon is like, it's like Jesus launching a spiritual torpedo at us. And these statements are so revolutionary. And we certainly need the Holy Spirit to help us to interpret these statements. And to live these statements. We are not going to be able to do this alone. That's why in, the, in our first reading of it, or as we read it, we're so intimidated. Because we can't do this alone. We need the Holy Spirit and each other to fulfill these statements. You know, the shallow way that we admire Jesus as a teacher is unacceptable. And it's of no use to us. Jesus is the Son of God. He is not created. He is the Creator. All things are created for Him and through Him. And so he is the one and the Holy Spirit who's going to help us to do these things. So as we read it and we read the scripture and we read the sermon, in our hearts and our minds, we need to feel like, God, help me. That's why he starts off the sermon by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. Because we come to him empty-handed, not knowing how to do any of this. And if we're poor in spirit, he will help us. Which of us can go before God and say that my hands are clean and my heart is pure? None of us. 
Who can stand in his presence and have nothing for God to blame us for? None of us. Only Jesus. And Jesus can make us pure in heart. He can do it. He can impart his very nature on us until we are formed in his very nature. Yes, he can do that. Can we be following the law and missing the heart of God? Can we just be be living our lives and saying, oh, I'm not mad at anybody or oh, I'm not going to murder anybody and feel like, oh, I'm okay. Where is the heart in it, is what Jesus is saying. Righteousness. When does your, your faith become more like a rule book or a checklist? Man, if I do this, this, and this, I'm good. If I follow this, this law, if I follow this commandment, this, 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 I'm good. That is not righteousness. Righteousness is about our hearts. So the kingdom of God was designed by God to turn the world upside down. Or like I said, right side up, whichever one you feel better. Let us avoid the legalism of the Pharisees, which is so easily, so easy to fall into. And let us pursue righteousness of Christ. Let us turn the world upside down together. And to God be the glory. Amen. 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 Can we give J.D. another hand? really easy just to kind of shrink back into that mindset. You know, it's like, I've been baptized. I'm good. And it's just like, let me follow the rules. Like it's just, that was never what God called us to. That was never what he, that, that wasn't even what he called the people in the Old Testament to. He always wanted what Jesus wanted for us today. So um, let's stand up. If you want to, please turn your books to 716. I think in consideration of what J.D. just said, we're not just seeking to follow the law. We're seeking to follow Jesus. And his example for us. Mm-hmm.